Bible, please, to the Gospel according to Luke. We're still in chapter 10. The title of today's message is Jesus Full of Joy. You know, it's the only time in the Scripture anywhere where it tells us that. We have a number of Old Testament addresses that tell us that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with, and here he is full of why. Now, he's talked about his joy in a few other locations in the New Testament, but nothing like this. This is the only place. He's full of joy. Why? This is, this is powerful. Wait till you see this. Wait till you see why Jesus is full of joy. This is amazing. This is, it's, I hate to put it in this context, but his, his joy is all about you. The Father's plan, yes, but the Father's plan is redemption. God's unfolding plan of redemption. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. He was there. The time has come. He sends out the 70. They come back. People are getting saved. Satan's falling like lightning over and over and over again. And he's full of joy. Because you. It's truly amazing to see what God is joyful about. Okay? Let's take a look. Short passage, very brief, 21 to 24. And the next week, I think we'll perhaps get to the Good Samaritan. But this week, let's take a look at this passage. Hear now the word of God. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant. Fellow Lord, let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation. We always assume some in the sanctuary and surely by way of the internet who are not saved. Give the gift of repentance and faith and raise them from death to life. Make it a word of comfort for those in storm winds. And a word of rest for those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Father, we need ears to hear, so give us those ears. And minds to understand, so give us those minds and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit illuminate us this day. To understand more deeply the truths of the gospel that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ when we leave than when we came. So come. Now, fount of every blessing, unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Jesus, full of joy, three reasons. Ready? Very simply. And then we'll go to our Christmas rally. Number one, the Father's pleasure. Jesus took joy in the Father's pleasure. So should we. Number two, the Father's prescription. What was the Father's prescription for his unfolding plan of redemption? What was the prescription for it? And then finally, number three, the Father's promise. The promise then and the promise today. 
Remember, three things in every sermon you have to get. Three, no matter where you go and no matter who you listen to, what does the text say, what does the text mean, and what does the text require? That text is alive, it's living and active, and so are you. That means there's something that's required of you when you come to the text. It, it interfaces with you, and it causes you to respond. You never walk out anywhere, or you never stop listening and say, oh, it was a great message, and get on with life. Then you missed, missed the Word of God. It is always calling us to respond to it, okay? So let's take a look. We're going to head out into deep waters, I promise you, this morning, and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, the Father's pleasure. Back to 21. Jesus, and the only time in the Gospels, full of joy. Don't miss that. Through the Holy Spirit. So pause. We're going to just walk through slowly, okay? What does that mean? That means that joy, joy is an inside job. You don't get joy because you, 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 you got a raise, you won the lottery, or, or, or your, your, your team won. Joy is an inside job, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Pete, right? So Jesus is full of joy by way of the Holy Spirit. It is independent of circumstance. You know when you're filled with joy and you know when you're filled with happiness because you understand the difference between the two. Happiness ebbs and flows. Joy is unending. And nothing can touch your joy when it is His. Okay? That's this. That's what this is. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. This is a Jewish designation. Jesus is connecting with his audience at the deepest level. He's speaking primarily to the Jews. So the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, is a Jewish designation for the supreme, sovereign, creator, ruler of the universe. What has he just done with that phrase? He's taken his audience all the way back to the beginning, which is what we learn in doing our gospel presentations today. You cannot start with a sinner in need of a savior in this postmodern anti-Christian culture. It doesn't work. Our language has changed. The categories have shifted. We need to find a common language to communicate an unchanging message with an ever-changing culture that is growing spiritually and dying biblically. So, If you're preaching to a Jewish audience like Peter was in Acts 2, you can get right to the point. Jesus is the promised Savior who died for your sins. Repent and be baptized. But if you're Paul in Acts 17 and you're preaching to Greeks, they have no frame of reference of a creator God, fallen humanity, promised redeemer, Sacrificial system. You have to go further back in the story. In the beginning. Jesus does this right here. Beautiful picture. Anchors us right to the very beginning of the story. Now, for you have hidden these things. What are the things? The gospel truths. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Father, this was your good pleasure. Okay, so we'll just unpack this briefly. We've done it many times before. Who are those... Who, who are the representatives of those categories? Who are the wise and the learned? 
Those are the self-righteous Pharisees. Okay, those are the ones who believe that they are working their way to God. They have no interest in a savior because they are saving themselves. So, so they, have, they have no need of Jesus. Now, what's the contrast? The contrast is little children. But remember, we've unpacked this before. So you have to understand what little children means. First, you have to understand the cultural context. In that cultural context, little, little children, and I'm talking little, little ones, they, they, other than the parents, and not even all parents, they're not really valued. They bring no value to the, to the culture. They really bring no value to the family. They're just a drain. You've got to feed them and change them and take care of them, right? They're just there. Most pagan cultures were sacrificing them anyway. So here's, here's your picture. You have these self-righteous Pharisees who believe they're, they're the in crowd. And notice Jesus didn't choose any of them. No religious leaders, no scribes, no Pharisees, none of them. But you have those guys who believe they're in, and Jesus says, no, but you've revealed them to these little children. What's the primary difference between the two? The Pharisees feel that they are incredibly accomplished and God owes them, but little children are what? Unaccomplished. In the Jewish culture, they didn't drive around the streets of Jerusalem with bumper stickers on the back and say that my child is in the honor roll at Jerusalem Elementary. <laughs> you do that. My my little one has scaled the, the, the sides of Mount Kilimanjaro. And, and you shout it to the world. They've accomplished a lot in your minds. But not in anyone else's. And Jesus says, they are unaccomplished. They bring nothing. Nothing in thy hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's the contrast. You guys think you've worked your way into to God's favor. You have no idea what it... You, you've missed the message. But little children are what? Relying on someone to lead and to guide and to protect and to care. That's, that's all. And this is the pleasure, okay? See it? That's the contrast. As far as we can go, we've got to keep moving. Here's the passage that should bring you great comfort. You want to know why? Because you are all over this passage, and so am I. The passage is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. You should, just, you should be so excited about this. Listen to what Paul says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. I want you to think, if you were called as an adult, now some of you grew up in a Christian home, so you don't know any better. All you knew is Jesus, and I speak to the kids all the time. Coach, I, I never knew a time where I didn't know Jesus. I just, I know Jesus. But if you were saved as an adult like Kim and I, you know what happened. You know the difference. You know what you were when you were called. You know what Jesus was doing. You know that. So that's what he says. You know. Not many of you. See, because remember, back then, they're not growing up in Christian homes, right? Right? Christianity's just, just starting. Right? So now it's all coming together. It's just not many of you were, were wise by human standards. This is, this is good news. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Ever feel like you didn't quite matter or measure up, or am I alone? I can't be alone in that. Look at the point. We're nothing. And God chose us. That's the whole point. See, when you, when, you, when you want to fit together the New Testament, 
gospel truth, you have to fit it together with the old. It's one word from one God to one world. That's how we prepare our students before we send them to the university and the academy. Why is Christianity true? You have to understand how to answer that question. What's the difference between a Christian worldview and a Buddhist worldview and a Hindu worldview? You've got to know the difference. We're going to talk more about that in a second. So you have to understand exactly what's going on in your, in your religious worldview. You have to be able to connect the dots. So you go back to God's unfolding plan of redemption, and he chooses Israel. Why? Because Israel was the greatest nation at the time. They were big and powerful and strong, and, and great commerce was happening. No. No. Why did he choose Israel? Beats me. Right? And it sure beat Israel. They had no idea. Except it was God's what? Sovereign, electing love. He loved them. And he brought them to himself. That's the whole point of, of the gospel. He loved you. There was nothing in you. That fits with the Old Testament motif that comes to the nothing. Not big and powerful and strong and influential and wise. And even if you're wise by scholastic standards, you understand the point. And, and let me make this clear about the, the Pharisees so we don't point any fingers. We are all, listen to me carefully, we are all recovering Pharisees. Yes? Oh, I got the bobbleheads now. Oh, yes. Yes. Some of you need a little bit more recovery. Yes. Right? Right? Yes. Me too. Right? Why? Because we're self-righteous. We all are. We're self-absorbed. The whole universe is, 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 is encircled around us, and we're in the center. And we like that. Sin has curved all of, of creation in on us. The gospel curves us outward so that we can begin to be focused on others. Vertically first to God and horizontally to all others. That's the point. So that's what happens when, when Jesus shows. So what is the Father's pleasure? T to see that, that the plan is working and Jesus takes pleasure in the Father's plan that is working perfectly. Exactly as he has ordained it from before the foundation of the world. Jesus takes pleasure, joy in the Father's joy. Okay? Got it? Number two, what's the prescription? What's the prescription? 22, all things have been committed. Oh, do you know what that statement means? That's eternity past. You need to, don't miss this. All things have, have been committed in the Greek construction. When? In the eternal council of the triune God, before there was what? You, or the person next to you, or anything in creation. When there was only God. All things have been committed to who? Me by my Father. Now we've got to get to the next one. I just want to touch on this so it's important. Do you know there are millions in the church who know God? Uh-oh. But there's something you need to understand about the word no. Take a look at the word no up there. It's gnosko. Gnosko in the Greek. What does that mean? Uh, no, it's not an intellectual assent and a knowledge that you know something about God. Gnosko is an intimate intercourse and relationship by way of personal experience now stay with me all things have been committed from eternity past to me by my father angering the pharisees again my father no one knows who the son is except the father gnosko there's an intimacy between the two 
and no one knows, knows who the Father is except the Son. The best example, there's a bunch of them, but just the best. Take Joseph and Mary. Joseph knew not Mary. It was a virgin conception. Yes? By way of the Holy Spirit. He did not sleep with his wife. There was no intimacy. There was no intercourse. He knew Mary, but he didn't know her. Millions in the church know stuff about God, but have never, ever, ever had an intimate, personal, living, vital, vibrant relationship with him. They're stuck in ritual. They're stuck in religion. They're stuck in doing stuff and checking it off a list. Never coming to the full knowledge of Christ. Intimate. And what does Jesus call you into? What's the metaphor? It's a marriage. It's a marriage. The greatest picture of the gospel is the marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom and you are the bride. And Jesus wants to know you intimately. See it? Okay. Beautiful, beautiful picture of, of the prescription here. And then we'll just add some layers on the foundation to it. John, and then I'm going to show you something. I don't want you to get upset, but I'm going to show it to you. John 10, 30. Jesus said, I and the Father are... Okay, he's, you see the intimacy. You see the relationship. There, there's an eternal... It's, it's, Steve Brown would describe it this way. There's this eternal dance that's taking place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just constantly loving and, 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 and connecting and serving and, and filled with joy. And from all eternity, just a beautiful, perfect, harmonious relationship. And that's what Jesus wants with you. Now, it won't come like that until the other side. I get that. But you should be experiencing some of it today. The already and the not yet. You should be having some of those moments today. Okay? So he says, I and the Father are one. That angers the... the, the. Remember in John, I think it's John 5. They're angry at him because they say he's violating the Sabbath. And then they say, and all the more reason to put him to death because he claims that God is his Father. So they're outraged. They would never dream of God being a father figure. They had no category for that, even though they understood God as father. But Jesus said, he is my father. And how does he teach us to pray? Our father. See the picture? That's you. You. He's filled with joy because of you. Oh, my word. John 14, 6. I'm, I'm going to have to share something, and we're going to get deeper. Wait till we get to the new year, and we, and we launch Disciple Making Disciple in the new year. We launch that, and we teach you how to really share the gospel in a postmodern, anti-Christian culture, okay? And, and we work through that a number of weeks. We'll probably do it Wednesday. We're, we're working through the details and the time frame of it. But watch this. I, I, Jesus, put it up. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You believe that's true? Nod your heads, right? Okay. Let me tell you something. There are, there are, listen to me carefully. There are millions in the church who believe that's true. You say, boy, pastor, that's good. We go into the next point? Mm, hold on. 
they believe that's true, but they also believe something else is true. There are other roads that lead to heaven as well. Let me make something perfectly clear to you. And if this, again, if this sounds, if this sounds intolerant and narrow, it's because it is. But so is every other religious worldview. The Buddhist is intolerant and narrow. The Hindu is intolerant and narrow. The secular humanist is intolerant and narrow. The Jew is intolerant and narrow. Why? When you get to the very end and you funnel it all down, everyone has a different requirement to get in to whatever that in is. But if you believe, listen to me, if you believe this and you believe there are other roads that lead to heaven, come see me and we'll talk. Either it's true or it's not. You can't, you can't, because you want to make someone feel better, you can't do that. Either it's true or it's not. I've said this many times. Listen to me carefully. Every religious worldview, every single one of them, including the one that you hold in your heart, could be false. Every one. But every one of them can't be true. They can't. Because they're all different. They have a different requirement to get in. You know when I first learned this? In the field of personal development, right? When I was running around in, in that mystical, member, Oh, some of you know my, my story, my history. But the 80s and, and the very early 90s, running around in the field of personal development, right? right? Rubbing crystals together and looking for pyramids to sleep under and all that crazy stuff that people did, right? Trying to head to Sedona. I, I was just, it was in that world. And I had Lauren and I had others come preach the gospel to me and I thought these people were whacked. And they were. They really, he, he is. He is. But they had something. They had this truth. They had something. And I, I, it just, it, I didn't understand it, but I, I, be, I believed in this, in, this, in this world. And then all of a sudden, I'm hearing from these Christians, but then something got me in the field of personal development. You want to know what it was? Listen to me. Katama Buddha was a Hindu. What does that mean? Listen to me. Katama Buddha grew up a Hindu, and he forsook the faith of his father's Buddhism and founded Hinduism. And I sat there. In my mystical upbringing and all of the years in the martial arts and the Eastern philosophies, I said, why would he leave that for this? They're not all the same. Something's wrong here. And then in 95, we got saved and we went to work. I wanted to know what these people believed. What was the difference in these worldviews? Every worldview is narrow. Every worldview is intolerant. But if you don't believe this exclusively, then you don't believe the gospel. That's it. I didn't say it. The book did. Okay? John 17, 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Just two things we want to touch on, okay, very clearly. How, there's a little confusion in the church today, right, depending on denominational understandings, and we're not going to get into any of that, but just two key words. What's the difference between revelation and illumination? That's really something, and it's not a deep theological teaching. And I just want to show that to you so that you can understand 
what happened to the 12 and the 70? They had been given revelation. But the Holy Spirit then illuminated them to the truths of the revelation so that they could go and share that with the population. So you have to understand how this works. So I'm just going to show you very briefly. Revelation. Let's look at that first. What is revelation? It's the disclosing of what is previously unknown. It is fixed and it is final. There's no new revelation. That revelation, and you're going to see it in two places. Watch this. There's general and there's special. I'll never forget. Let me just... Side note, we were in class one day with Dr. Sproul. He's talking about general and special revelation. And he says, how many believe that God is infallible, completely infallible? How many believe God's revelation, special revelation, the book is infallible? Every hand goes up. He says, how many of you here believe that God's revelation in creation is infallible? Nobody raised their hands. Thought it was a trick question. And I wasn't going to be the first guy to put my hand up, so we just sat there. Tommy, what do you think? Whatever you think, sir. No, I would, whatever you think. God is infallible in, in, in creation, just as he is in special revelation. General and special, there's no, it's infallible. Why? It's God who creates it. Okay? So we need to understand that. So what do we understand about general re- revelation? Ready? Watch. In general, there's, 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 media. There's, there's two aspects, two mediums, basically. You have creation and you have conscience. Look at creation. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Now, what does that mean? Every single person who has ever been born knows what? There is a creator God. You understand that? You, you, don't, doesn't matter where they live. Doesn't, doesn't matter what third world. Doesn't matter. How, every single person has been created in the image of God. And has been given the capacity to know God through his creation. Okay? So man is without excuse. So when you're bowing down to something other than the one true living creator God, you're without excuse. Okay? That's creation. But there's also conscience. Now I know there are some consciences that seem seared. You see stories on television. You see some bad stuff and bad people. And you go, man, there's a sear. I, I get that, but still deep down, there, there's, some, there's a conscience. Everyone has it. You can't, you can't run from this. Watch. Romans 1.19. What may be known about God is plain to them. God's made it plain in your conscience. You can't run from that. Because, But what does it say? You go further in that passage. But they suppress what? The truth. They suppress the truth. Why? I don't, if you read, listen, do your own study. If you read some of the great, great, well-known atheists, right, the, 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 the Darwin's Pitbull, Huxley, and you, and you read uh, Bertrand Russell, Why I'm Not a Christian. You read their, their stories and get to some of their great quotes. You want to know why most of them would say, you know what, we, we really had no, no interest in, in God. Why? We didn't want to have to change the way we lived. I'm not making this up. Read the stories. We had no interest in having to change the lifestyle that we lived. We didn't want to have somebody standing over us telling us what we should and should not do. These are true stories. They know. They know that he's there. He is there and he is not silent. 
Francis Schaeffer. Then we have special. Special wrote Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, real brief. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. In the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all things. And now he has spoken through his son. You hold it in your hands. You read it on the screen. You sing it in our praise songs. Special revelation. Okay? And then illumination. Let's just be clear what the difference is between the two. We're not getting new revelation from God. The revelation, we've been given the revelation. We're getting illumination from God. If he wakes you up late at night, he's illuminating you to biblical truth, what has been revealed in the scriptures, what has been revealed in creation, what he has already given to us. Illumination, watch. First, this is convincing and convicting of the truth of scriptures. First Corinthians 2, 9 to 11. Paul said, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you know that? We have no idea what it's really going to be like. So all of your loved ones who have gone before you and who are in glory right now, (laughs) even if they could come back, they wouldn't want to. Right? And it has nothing to do with us. Because eye has not seen and ear has not heard. The glory that awaits us. And then Paul says, what is this suffering compared to the glory that awaits us? If we could catch a glimpse of that, we would live more in the light of eternity. We wouldn't be so caught up in the here and now. Circumstances wouldn't mess us up so much because we'd understand what's coming, the promise that's been given. But God has revealed in it to us by what? The Spirit. The Spirit searches. So picture the Holy Spirit with a searchlight. Searching. All things, even the deep things of God, but it's going to get better. Wait till you see this. Oh, don't miss this. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's illumination. The unbeliever knows nothing of illumination. Why? 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. So you're going out to witness to an unbeliever who has no idea who who the Creator God is, God's unfolding plan of redemption, and you're going to start with a sinner in need of a Savior. And you wonder why they have no interest in calling you back for another lunch. Right? They never pick up the phone. They never text you. Why? They don't understand it. Does it make any sense to them? You have to meet them where they are. What did Jesus do? Jesus shows up. He sees these guys fishing, and what does he say to them? He says, listen, here's what we're going to do. I have this incredible theological, Christological, eschatological program that I'm going to share with you over the next three and a half. No. He spoke to fishermen and he said, follow me. I'm going to teach you to fish. Makes sense. Meet them where they are. Find out where they are. Talk to them. Find out where they are. Meet them there. 
meet them there, and then, and then they'll, you'll get another invitation. Then you'll have an opportunity to bring them out. And I'm not saying it's got to take three weeks or three months or three years. Sometimes we've got to get to the point right now, but you've got to meet them where they are. They're broken. They don't understand sin. Many of you old enough. Remember? Remember? Happy days? Come on. Who, who, was, who, was, who was John the Baptist on happy days? Who was it? Fonzie. Fonzie was John the Baptist. What was the one word he could not pronounce? The word wrong. When he did something that was, he would say, I know I did. No, I'm going to tell you. He couldn't say it. He couldn't say wrong. He's the postmodern John the Baptist. They don't understand it. What's wrong? What's right? You decide. We have to meet them where they are. And then gently bring them to the truth that they desire even though they don't know. Because there is a God-sized void in each heart that can only be filled by God. Augustine was right. It can only be filled by... That's why if we take the time to understand the culture, we can connect with this culture. There's, I don't believe there's ever been a greater time to preach the gospel if we can learn how to preach it in their language. It's an unchanging message, but we have to change the way that we deliver it, okay? Finally, this is it, the Father's promise, 30, 23 and 24. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not, and hear what you hear but did not hear it. Do you understand the privileged position that you have? The greatest prophet, what, who's the only prophet? Who's the only Old Testament prophet that actually saw this truth? It wasn't Fonzie, John the Baptist of, of happy days. It was the real John the Baptist. He was the last Old Testament prophet that actually saw this. Every other Old Testament prophet, every other Old Testament king was looking, looking in hopes. The high priest every year, the sacrifice on Yom Kippur, the high priest every year pointing to that one day when the true sacrifice would come and the sacrificial system would be over. No more bleeding of the lambs. They would be silenced forever. But they never saw it. But Jesus says, you see it. What do they see? He said, you see me. It's me that they waited for. And now I'm here. And you see it and you hear it and you touch it. It's me. All of that was pointing to me. Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They never saw it. The hall of faith never saw it. But they died in faith. They died believing. How is the Old Testament? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How is he saved? How? How is Ruth saved? How? Same as you. By grace through faith. But they never saw the promise fulfilled. Always looking. Okay? And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Longing for a better country. A heavenly one. And finally, with First Peter, and we're done. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ, another way of saying the Holy Spirit, 
in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah, Psalm 22. I mean, you just go down the list of Old Testament passages predicting the suffering of Christ. Right on the road to Emmaus, what does he say? Did you not know? Did you, what did you miss? All things in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. All of them. How did you not understand? And beginning with what? Moses and the prophets on the road to Emmaus. Seven, eight miles, a couple hours. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he begins to explain to them all the Old Testament. That's all they had was the old. They had no new. All the Old Testament claimed about Jesus. He said, it's me. How did you miss this? Every passage pointed to me. I'm it. Watch it, but it gets better. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, they served you. Everything they did was for your benefit. Everything that happens in your life is for your eternal good. Do you understand that? And when they spoke of the things that they've now been told by you and who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even, watch this, even angels long to look. Angels peering out from heaven. And what do they see? God's unfolding plan of redemption. That God in his eternal, sovereign, electing love chose you. Not the fallen angels. They're looking down going, oh my. They're gone. Now they're still floating around and doing their thing right now. But God had no plan of redemption for the angels. But for humanity, he died, and they looked, and they long because of you. Christ died for you. That was the joy. One week after Easter, Jesus is back in the upper room. Thomas wasn't there the week before. He says, I won't believe unless I put my finger in the nail print. Thomas is there. I don't, we don't know if he puts his finger. We don't know. But Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. And now here's the response. Listen, this is for us right now. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He commended Thomas's faith. But he was filled with great joy to say there will be millions who will come to faith in me who have never seen what you saw, Thomas. And blessed are they for having not seen but still believed. If you've never, ever believed, right now is a moment of salvation. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ says to you what? Come. Listen, let me give you another biblical truth that I didn't write. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I didn't make that up. So if you hear my voice right now or by way of the internet, wherever you are, if you hear my voice right now as a moment of salvation, this afternoon it might be too late. Tomorrow may not come. So take this moment of salvation and cry out to Jesus if you never have. You've heard the gospel truth. There is a creator God. 
But yet all of creation groans because man has sinned and rebelled against God. But God didn't leave him in their sin and promised the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 who would crush the head of the serpent. And he has. And he took the place of sinners, you and I on a cross, and cried out, my God, my God, why? 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 Because of you and me. In agony, he pictured you. Because he loved you. They said to him, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Oh, he could, but he wouldn't. Because it was more important to save you. Come to Christ. You, don't, you can't just know him intellectually. It's not enough to believe. The demons believe and they shudder. Trust. Transfer trust to Christ. Trust not in your time, talent, and treasure, your good work. Trust in none of that. Trust in Christ. Come to Christ. Paul would beg, come to Christ today. And when you do, you will know in your heart by the inner witness and testimony of the Holy Spirit that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let that truth set you free. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone in here or anyone by way of the internet who has never surrendered control of their lives to Christ, make this a moment of salvation. You must give the gift of repentance and faith. You must raise them from death to life. This is not a man-centered work. Repentance is not turning from one work to another. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Pour your grace out in dead bodies Ezekiel's dry bones raise them to life. And then give each person the confident assurance that he who began this good work on this day will one day bring it to completion. And Father, for every single believer, some who have been walking for decades, a century and more, strengthen all of us in our faith. Grow us up into Christ. And send us out into this world with strength and courage to preach the pure truths of the gospel. But to preach it in a way that this broken, biblically illiterate world can begin to understand. Let your truth set them free. And may we be instruments of salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.